0: How much is too much for a can't-miss waiver wire pick? What should Richard Rodriguez owners do in the next week? We will answer these questions, plus a deep dive into the Toronto Blue Jays, with 2016 NFBC Main Event overall winner Rob Silver. Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift Podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing wonderful. It is All-Star Week here, and we're doing this show actually right in the middle of the All-Star Game, and we brought on an All-Star guest. Welcome Rob Silver to the show.
2: It's great to be back with you guys. It's great to be back on on a Fangraph podcast. I'll be honest, I'm a bit surprised. Paul Sporer swore that I would never be back on another Fangraphs podcast ever again. So I don't know if Paul's uh, asleep or off for the week, but but it's great to be back. And uh, Paul said some really hurtful things last time I was on uh, Fangraphs podcast, some anti-Canadian slurs, but it's, it's good to be back with you guys.
0: Ooh, well, I don't know what happened there, but... Uh, uh, well. I'm, 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 jo- I'm joking, am joking I
2: make fun of each other. It's great to be back with you guys. This is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, looking forward to this for a while, and thanks for joining. Um, so you know, before we, we start our show, um, you know, why don't why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of you know how you started playing and where you got into how you're now analyzing fantasy baseball and even doing a podcast of your own on the launch angle.
2: Podcast. No, 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 no. So before before th- th- those questions are not that interesting. Let me let me ask you, Ariel, two questions. So I was recording uh, the launch angle podcast with my my co-host Jeff Zimmerman uh, today. And before the show, we were kibitzing. Am I allowed to use Yiddish on this uh, on this podcast? Is that I, I should have asked? I should have asked ahead
1: of time. <laughs> we'll we'll, uh, we'll that's allow a, it. It's fine.
2: We'll allow it. Okay. I didn't know if that if that if that's if that's permitted. He he mentioned your Labor League, Ariel, and uh-huh. he seemed a little bit defensive because my understanding is you have passed him in the standings in Labor uh, heading into the All Star break. Is this tr- true?
0: This is true, although the way I tell it, uh, I was in first for most of the season. He passed me, and I reclaimed first place from him. So,
2: so so very quick analysis, and I'm putting you on the spot. This wasn't on the outline. Give me five ways that Jeff Zimmerman has blown that labor league. Like, what what were the five things that Jeff did that have caused him to do this poorly in the league?
1: It's not. It's not that he blew it. It's that our team is just that good. Yeah.
2: I didn't even realize you guys were partners. I apologize. Yes. I didn't. I didn't that's mean. Fine. I didn't mean to be in any way dismissive yeah, of your yeah, yeah. your no, uh, uh contribution. That's how closely I've paid attention to your your labor league. No, just for that. But anyways, back to Jeff. If you could focus specifically on how <laughs> his team has been particularly. Uh, do you have anything negative well, to say about yeah. Jeff's team?
0: Well, I mean his uh, his power output is uh, not so great. He's got only three points in homers, which is why he just traded Kevin Gaussman for Jordan Alvarez.
2: Jesus, do you think that was an outrageously bad trade by Jeff Zimmerman? I
0: I think that that was a little bit too much in desperation to make up what he needed because, uh, you know he's he's could lose some points in pitching, so uh, you never know. And and my lead, I only have three points in wins, and I'm a, if I had four more wins, I'd have eight more points in the league. So uh. um, I I I have a lot of points to gain very quickly, and. Uh, uh, it's, listen, it's going to. Jeff is a fantastic player, so uh, he I, is, I, I,
2: I and yeah. he, he, he knows I joke, and Jeff's having an amazing year in lots of leagues, oh, yeah. uh, including partnering with Fred Zinke, who I understand you're you're, you're doubling up on the Canadians. Uh, that's a double double, uh, as as Canadians like to say. Uh, he may, he may be coming on a podcast soon. So my second question uh, before we head to the actual the actual show. Uh, you obviously take your, your softball very, very seriously uh, based on your 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 Twitter feed. Be honest. And you're, you're, I know you have no ability to be anything but honest. Uh, have you ever berated your catcher for not framing your screwball properly? Like, have you ever thrown a pitch and just started yelling at your catcher? Like, what was that framing using expletives that I, I know I'm allowed to use Yiddish? I won't use... Uh, any 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 swearing on on the podcast? Like, do, do you do you like chew out your catcher if he's not doing a proper job framing your pitches? Because you clearly take it very seriously. Your softball pitching.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I never got on him for framing. I I do get on him sometimes for tip uh, a foul tip that goes straight back and he misses it, or a quick pop up that that he'll he'll miss at, at home plate. Uh, but it, never on framing. Framing is tough. And do you think he's been you pitcher?
1: He's been your catcher for the past 10, 15 years. I mean, yeah, what are you yelling like at? Uh, do you think, <laughs> do, you
2: think do, you, do you think, do you think, do you think with a, a better defensive catcher that you like? Have you run the numbers if you had a better framing catcher in softball? How much better your ERA might be? Like I, because you you, you 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 take it very seriously based on what what you what you tweet out. So I'm just I'm just have you run the math. And have you started scouting other softball catchers in your area of who might be able to just make a difference? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not oh. saying I'm sure your catcher's a really good guy on your softball team, but, 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 but like, look, the math is the math and the numbers and the numbers, maybe you should find yourself a better framing softball catcher. And it could just play up with your screwball that you're throwing right now.
0: Well, the, the thought has definitely crossed my, my mind in terms so of So you have runs. thought about it. So you acknowledge, you acknowledge <laughs> yeah. that you have run the I'll, numbers. Uh, I'll actually go a step further. And uh, there's one season that he didn't play. It was um, the season before COVID, actually. He wow. didn't play for whatever reason. Uh, that's, that's the season we won the championship, actually.
2: <laughs> but you're, you're not saying. You're just saying, but you're not saying does, does he listen to this podcast, your catcher? Because this is devastating that you just pointed so. that out. I was just I, I joking. Think, but, 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 I... but, but, <laughs> but obviously, this is really something you've <laughs> spent a lot of time thinking about.
0: Well, uh, no, I've spent some time. But uh, now, listen, he's one of my buddies, and uh, I'm glad glad to pitch to him.
2: And now you guys understand why Paul Sporer said I would never be allowed on another <laughs> podcast ever again. Let's go. Why don't why, why don't why don't we actually do the podcast that you've proposed that we do based on the outline that you've sent now.
0: Sounds <laughs> sounds good, Rob. <laughs> Great, great stuff. Now, listen, I I play softball often, as you know, uh, and uh, you know part part of it is uh, throwing guys off balance. So uh, you're right, framing framing matters, and uh, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun to talk about, to think about. Hey, uh, would I have gained three runs uh, in on the year? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all good. All good. But anyways, a little bit about you, Rob. So so how did you get in, into the well the whole fantasy uh, baseball brand? The, the
2: honest the honest answer is I grew up in Montreal and I started playing fantasy baseball in like a lot of people of my vintage, which is older uh, unfortunately uh, than 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 some people in uh, in in the hobby. Uh, I started playing AL and NL only auctions when I was 13 14 years old. And it was a totally different world back then. Um, uh, We got our, the commissioner had to do the stats once, like now, now I sound like I'm 100 years old. The commissioner did the stats out of USA Today every Tuesday for NL and Wednesday for AL by hand and used to fax it out to all the league members. All the other league members other than me had jobs and therefore had like their work fax machine that they could get the the stats to, uh, by fax machine. Uh, I don't know, even know if everybody knows what a fax machine actually is. Um, I was 13 years old at the time playing with grownups. Um, so the only way I could get the stats each week was if my mom would drive me out to the league commissioner's house to pick up the stats by hand. And like my mom was working four jobs as a, as a single mom. So I'd go a month without any access to the statistics uh, of the league, which, as you could imagine, guys, made doing transactions each week really tough if you're trying to, like, if, if you're just trying to do it by hand and you had no idea what all the teams have done. So it was just a different time, and I loved it. And it was amazing uh, as as kind of different and by today's standards, crappy as it was. So that's how I got started. And I did those home leagues, those home auction leagues for a long time. And obviously, eventually it all went online and it was kind of more of a a similar modern um, environment. And I've I've told the story before. I got into the NFBC because then the follow up is, so how did you get into the NFBC? Um, for my 30th birthday, um, my wife noticed an ad somewhere. I probably had like one of the magazines, um, as one did back then, uh, sitting around. And for my 30th birthday, she decided this would be a great present for Rob to, for the two of us, my wife and I, we didn't have any, any kids back then to fly out to Vegas and all pay his registration to get into this high stakes fantasy baseball, and it was a lot of money. But luckily, both of us were already when I, we were both thirty, uh, working, and, and we could afford it. Uh, so she, my wife subscribed me or, or registered me for my first ever NFBC league as my thirtieth president. Wow. Uh, and like, what a what a I, I picked I picked them good. I, I married up like lots of us, and that's how I got into the NFBC, and it went. Horrendously badly. I had no idea what I was doing. Like it was, it was a totally different uh, game. Like it was, it. I, anyways, uh, but I was hooked, and uh, it it kind of went from there. But that's that's how I got into it.
0: Wow, oh, that's, that's amazing. Good. From the time you were thirteen, your bar mitzvah, and now you're having your mom drive you once a month to get stores. That oh, is incredible.
2: Uh, it was it was so miserable. Like to get to the auction. I'd have to take like because my mom wouldn't drive me on a Saturday Friday or Saturday or Sunday to like to get to the auction, so I'd have to take like six buses to make it to some hotel out in the West island of like you guys are guys are in New York, but like it was a schlep to get to, to get there, but it was it was like it was my bar mitzvah, I was a man, like it was fun and and i I had a paper How so we we weren't paying for paying for big money but it was like a hundred dollar entrance fee, which was a lot of money for me at the time I had a paper route and I was saving up money all winter wow. to pay my entrance fee into my league to play with these, these grown ups. They were, they were probably mid to late twenties, uh, thirties, like they were, they were adults. Uh, and I was, I was, I was delivering newspapers in Montreal. It's minus 40 degrees Celsius all winter just so I could get into, uh, into a fantasy baseball league with these guys. My God, if you had told wow. me when I was 13 that I'd be on a podcast <laughs> when I'm uh, not 13 talking about it still, <laughs> uh, I would have been like, well, how has my life gone astray?
0: <laughs> well, uh, I mean, certainly you've, uh, you've grown into uh, one of the best, uh, winning the main event in the uh, NFBC and uh, obviously you know, great analysis uh, every week. Um, and you know, we're fortunate to have you on the show. Uh, um,
2: you've run it. You've run You've run out, you've run out of guests. We've like gone through everybody <laughs> else, and <laughs> yeah. this is all in the middle of summer on the All Star Day. Uh, it's like no, there's there's only one person who will say yes at this point. It's silver.
0: <laughs> no, no, far far from that. Uh, I, we haven't even run out of Canadian guests. As, as the it's manager.
2: true. Fred Fred Zinke is still available as a
0: okay. out. There you go. All right. Well, anyways, uh, let's get into it. Uh, First, uh, let's talk a little bit about the All-Star Game. And uh, before we do that, it's time for the Injury Guru's Trivia of the Week.
1: Well, since we're going to talk about the All-Star Game a little bit, and Rob, since you grew up in Canada and you mentioned you grew up in Montreal, I'm going to gear this week's trivia to you, actually. How many times did someone playing on a Canadian team be named the MVP of the MLB All-Star Game.
2: I, I have, I have no idea. My God, uh, I do know. Because uh, I was looking at this today. I'm not going to answer you. I'm, 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 uh, thought, you can tell I was, I'm also in politics because I'm not going to answer your question at all. <laughs> uh, I Because there were three Blue Jays in the starting lineup uh, today. And obviously, Bo Bichette's also on the roster. Do you know that in Montreal in 1983, when the Expos hosted the game, there were three Expos in the starting uh, lineup Plus, Steve Rogers started the game. Maybe one of them was uh, MVP in that game. I don't know.
1: You are very much on target there. Um, in Gary, Gar- 19- Gar- Gary Carter. Yes. Gary Carter in 81 yeah. and 84, wow. and Tim Raines Sr. in 1987. Wow.
2: Really, Tim Raines Jr. never won uh All-Star Game MVP. uh inter- Interesting. Yes. Tim Raines Jr. never really made it all the way. Both of
1: them playing for the now defunct uh, Montreal Expos and for, or for now. Washington Nationals, whatever you want to call them.
2: For yeah. for, 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 for now. For now. For now. For now. Okay. Uh,
1: yes. For now. yes, we'll see.
2: It's coming. Uh, there's a team in Tampa that may be playing in Montreal very shortly. They have a decent well, that, team.
1: That was actually the plan to play a couple games in Montreal this year, but
2: of no, not a, not a not not a couple of games like the, the their stated plan for Major League Baseball. And it doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it rationally. But they're you know, they're trying to leverage and, and get Tampa to build them a new stadium, which I'm fine with as an Expos fan uh, is is for them to split. The team is is 40, 40 games in both cities, uh, which is which is crazy. Uh, we'll see how see how the labor negotiations go next year.
1: Well, I'm actually old. I'm actually old enough. I've been to a game at, at, at the uh, the old stadium there, at Olympic Stadium, and all I remember is the echo. I actually saw yeah. Hideo Nomo pitch there. There's such a bad echo. When, when Hideo Nomo was pitching, it was so loud. It was his first year in his, in the league. It was so loud, and the ec- that's one thing I remember is the echo on and on and on.
2: No doubt. And people who know that the Expos didn't draw a lot of fans, which certainly by the end was very true, When the Expos were good and the stadium would have 40,000 people in it, there is no louder stadium in baseball than Olympic Stadium, in part because they were really good, rowdy Canadian kind of European soccer type fans, in part because the echo, as you say, uh, was just ridiculous. And like my last year living in Montreal was 1994 and that year broke my heart and I couldn't watch baseball afterwards. It was it was it was devastating but but that the, the 93 94 Expos were such good teams and they got such good fan support and it's a great baseball city in Montreal um that just got beaten down but I have no doubt that with a good outdoor stadium uh that city can support baseball so we'll see we'll see where it goes yeah.
0: And getting, uh, talking a little bit about the uh, All-Star Game here, we had last night the Home Run Derby won by our hometown, New York Met, Pete Alonso, who looked very not modest, very confident, but not he's been modest, I'll tell you that. Um, and, of course, the main It was good, scoring...
2: to, good to see, because Pete's not had—since the rookie year, like, it, it's good to see him be cocky, Pete Alonso, because we haven't seen that a lot in, like, in actual baseball. No? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I'll take the cockiness because I think that he performs better under that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll take that for now. And, of course, the other story is uh, Shohei Otani, who has just been uh, a beast uh, in fantasy. He's been a uh, number two hitter, a $51 player in a 15-team uh, 5x5 format, 33 homers, 12 stolen bases. He's got 70 RBIs already. Um uh, and this is ho otani he looks like he's not slowing down i don't there's not much in his profile to suggest that he's slowing down maybe a little bit of home run regression has his homer to fly ball rate is is almost forty percent but he looks like he can get to fifty homers any thoughts on otani
2: he's awesome uh yeah. like what do, what do you say what do you say well put. uh he's he's uh, it's like uh, would you bet against anything uh with the guy it's it's hard to say like of course rationally you'd say uh there should be some home run uh regression um uh, but i don't know like the only thing i hope for is health and we talked we talked about i talked this about about this with jeff today on the on the launch angle it, thing is i worry more about his pitching health still than his hitting health and he's shown right. even with pitching health and, and we all hope that he stays healthy on the pitching side too because it's Forget fantasy, like from a fantasy perspective, in many ways, the pitching is sort of irrelevant because in most, unless you're in a daily transaction league where you can flip them back and forth between hitting and pitching, most weeks you're not using those pitching stats, but as baseball fans, it's so tremendous uh, and it's such a good story. So I wouldn't bet against anything that, that Otani uh, does the rest of the way.
0: Yeah. Move in, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think he will stay healthy. Even if he hurts himself pitching, he's been shown that even if he doesn't pitch, he'll still hit, and he can hit with a bad. Well, he had a bad elbow. He hit pretty well with a bad elbow, so I'm, I'm not really concerned about that too much, especially if the Angels stay with a six-man rotation and spread him out. I'm not really too concerned about injury at this point. Right.
0: Into our strategy section today, and want to get your take on a couple of uh, topics. As you know, we do on our show. It's not just about the players; it's also about how to play the game. And a lot of times, it's more about playing the game. Uh, talking about waiver wire, and uh, you know, a, a couple weeks ago, uh, Alec Manoa, who is having a fantastic start to his career here, um, he went on average in Fab in the NFBC main event for. Three hundred forty-one dollars. That's thirty-four percent of your annual budget. The maximum pick that he went at was five hundred thirty-eight. Somebody bid five hundred thirty-eight out of a thousand. Uh, minimum out of any league was one hundred forty-five. So he was a major, major pick. Now, ignoring the fact that he's done well in his first eight starts, because obviously it's a rookie, it could go bad, sour. You never know. Do you think that bidding that much, bidding over three hundred, over four hundred, some kind of large amount? is that an appropriate purchase price? Do you think that that's way too high? Is that appropriate? Does it matter, your position in the league, if you're in first place, if you're in last place, if you're really tight in the categories? What's your take on on the kind of bidding needed to support that very large number?
2: So part of it was a timing uh, question. If he had come up, exact same player, exact same profile, exact same first start, because part of it was he looked so good in that first start— uh, which obviously juiced the bids. Um, it was early enough that a lot of teams still had money to bid. If you came up today, there just are not in in certain, take the NFBC main, but but it's similar, and I I would assume in almost every format in every single league, um, there just aren't the number of teams that have the same amount, and that's just the nature. Like if you look at the curve of how fab bids go over the season. It's the nature of those bids. When more teams are still engaged and have a lot of money, the bids are higher, regardless of the talent. So that's point one. Uh, Point two is, and I think we had an exchange on on Twitter about this at the time. Mm -hmm. If you made the assumption, which was a reasonable assumption, but a risky assumption, that he was the best pitcher who was going to emerge in the player pool in 2021. And by that I mean, and I think, and it's not hindsight biased, I meant it at the time, there almost certainly will be a pitcher who at the end of the season has better stats than him. But in terms of projectability, in terms of foreseeability, so when you're bidding on the guy, that there was a reasonable assumption that Minoa was the best starting pitcher from a projections perspective, who was gonna emerge as free loot, to use the term, uh, into the player pool, then I don't think that it's unreasonable to say that in an environment where a lot of teams, because of both injury and underperformance, needed real help in terms of a volume starting pitcher, that the best starting pitcher who was going to emerge probabilistically should get a 25, 30, 35, 40, even 40% uh, bid, which doesn't mean that it wasn't an incredibly risky bid. As you suggest, he's a, a rookie pitcher. By definition, the range of outcomes are massive with that. So you need to weigh that against each other. But no, I don't think that if for the right team and the right context with the right amount of fab left, I think that that like five thirty eight's obviously aggressive. Uh, but but I don't think that it was an overbid without making any comment of how he's looked uh, since then. Uh, do, does that make sense to you guys?
0: Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I I think it really depends on the what where you are in the standing. You know, certainly if you're in thirteenth place out of fifteen. You're not going to jump up to second place if you don't have a spark. You know, the risk of a team needs to needs to come up. You need to increase the risk. And certainly, having Manoa on your team, as risky as he is, and with good projected stats— that certainly is someone to take a stab. If I'm in first place and I'm up by 10 points, I don't think I bid $300 on Fab. I want to win the league by, I need a little bit of a, an expected value here, a little bit of expected value here, save some money for closer emerging. I would not spend that much. I would spend maybe 150 to take a shot at them, but 300 is something else. But let me ask you a question. Before I go to Ruvain, let me ask you a question again, Rob. You know what if um, Luis Castillo comes available on the waiver wire? Or actually, we just had this Ruben and I in our league. Um, Lucas Giolito in a it was a ten team league, but just came on the waiver wire. Some owner had Jeez. enough of him and dropped him. Yeah, and the question is, what do you bid on that? Uh, you know, uh, we bid about thirty percent of our budget on on Giolito. There, the so the winner put fifty five dollars down, and he's down to two dollars in, in the league. Um, yeah, you know- I mean
2: it's it it's it's it, it's like. <laughs> It's it's interesting. So in the NFBC, which is a totally different beast, and I know most people listening don't necessarily play in the NFBC, there are situations where Greg Ambrosius, who and, and Tom, who run run the competition, will remove players from the free agent uh, pool. And my guess, just because of collusion risk and right, right. shifting the playing environment, with in, in in competitions where there's an overall, if it's standalone league. Uh, everybody go hard. Uh, but if there's, if there's an overall, there are situations where they will remove a player, uh, from, from, from the player pool, because it's like, why is somebody dropping Lucas Giolito? Like it doesn't make sense, even though he's obviously struggled for, for a little bit projections wise, he's still a top 15 pitcher. And if you, you, if we're in a main event and you drop Lucas Giolito and I pick him up, and I'm in competition for the overall, that certainly has the ability to shift the playing field. Right. So put that aside, because uh, I, I assume that's not really in question in your right, league right, of right, right. like collusion or funny business may have been a bad decision, but it's, that's not uh, right. the issue. Um, I think the analysis to some extent also, let's say, let's say you're in third place, second place, like you're, you're right there and it's neck and neck. A lot of it is about blocking the teams that are in real contention with you. So I think it's one of those situations where you really need to create a spreadsheet of like, these are the teams who are really in it with me. These are the teams who can make up points in strikeouts and wins and in all the pitching uh, categories. And as much as you want Lucas Giolito, it's also what's a defensive bid to block the teams that I'm competing against without... Fully handicapping uh, uh, yourself um, to to make sure that you're you're safe. A lot of it also depends uh, and and on can you make zero dollar bids? So in in some in some leagues there are there you you can uh, bid zero dollars on players. So even if you're out of fab money, you can continue to make moves. Though you're obviously hamstrung, you you can't outbid anybody, but you you can still make moves. In other leagues, the minimum uh, bid is $1. Um, I don't want to be in a position on July fifteenth where I literally can only make two more moves all season, because injuries are going to happen. And even like, you really are in a tough spot at this point, even if you get Lucas Giolito, which is huge.
0: Right. So what's moving? Really-
1: Well, first of all, I think with the whole um, Alec Manoa thing, I think it's all a matter about timing and when he came up and what was going on in the league at the time. If you needed a pitcher, like let's say you had Tyler Glass now and he went down, you need you need that replacement, you know what? Go ahead, bid on it, do what you gotta do if, if something like that comes up. And we also had an idea of how much people were gonna be bidding on these players to begin with because wasn't it the first or second week of the season when everyone bid like $200, $250 on Julian Merriweather? And how did that work out? It, it was like, it was the same thing all over again. So people had an idea of how much to spend or how much your league was gonna spend on a certain top player that was coming up and people had an idea that you know what, if I do if I do two fifty, I'm not gonna get him for two fifty and I really want him, so let me go a little higher and then towards Sunday, Sunday night you're thinking, wait, I need to get a little higher, a little higher and that's how those bids creep up. And in the other league where we we dropped where we um where Lucas Giolito was dropped, we were actually discussing earlier in the season, and I brought it up, of dropping Luis Castillo just to have other teams use their fab because we didn't think he was going to turn it around. He has turned it around, and we've done better in the league since he's turned it around. But if you just throw him back into a league, in a home league like that, you don't know what someone's going to spend. They may spend the rest of their budget, and that, that will actually handicap them the rest of the way.
2: Uh, boy, you're playing three-dimensional chess. It- Three dimensional chess. If you're dropping Luis Castillo in order to burn other people's fab, like that is you're 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 a better fantasy. But no, I, I mean this, it's like because well, we've he, all he wasn't seen, doing well
1: either, he wasn't no, doing no, no, well no. either, so he turned his stats total, also
2: totally. Uh, now since June 1st, he's had a sub two ERA, uh, you know, he's been a right. bit lucky, but he but he has turned around. But if you're drop, if you're if you're if you are so on top of your fantasy team that you are making drop decisions, not on the basis of, um, I, I don't want this guy anymore. I can't use this guy anymore. He's he, I, or I need the roster spot, but you're making drop decisions on the basis of, I want to spend other people's fab money. Um, we've all seen that happen in leagues, but boy, I'm just never on top of my team enough (laughs) to be the guy who's, who's playing that game. But if you can be, and and I wonder like, like, like I'm, I'm old and slow. Maybe other people are doing that, and that's amazing to me. If you're playing that level of of chess in terms of your fantasy teams, that's amazing. Well, it, was, it
1: was, it was a little bit more than that. Our team, our ERA was shot. We just wanted to try to get as many wins and strikeouts. So what we're going to do is drop him and use two star pitchers over and over again because we didn't think we were going to make up the ERA and WHIP. So Luis Castillo really didn't fit our team anymore. That's why we we're. That's why I brought it up.
2: Yeah, no, I hear
1: it. I hear it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, okay, we ended I'm, up uh, we ended up keeping him. Uh, and do you think I mean, there
2: are people? Do you think there are people who play a game? It's like you know, you know. Here's a situation actually where I could see it happening. But we do let's have closings. say closings. Well, That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Is let's say I locked into Mark Melanson and, and like I, I I I hit the like the you know I, I was at the track and I hit the 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 whatever you call it. I hit the triple. Uh, I hit all three all, all three of the ponies uh, in a row. And I'm 18 saves up at the all-star break. Is it crazy in that scenario to drop a closer uh, so that everybody in the league goes crazy picking him up when I know that nobody can catch me in saves? Like there's a 3% chance that Mark Melanson gets hurt and, and whatever. Happens, but otherwise I'm safe, and therefore I'm going to burn their their fab dollars.
0: Oh no, absolutely, and, and that was exactly the what the, what I thought of when you said that. Uh, we've done that where we've had you know, a 20 save lead, uh, and we had four closers on the roster. We certainly, weren't playing. We were going to plan on playing two every week, so might as well. We saw that the you know you see who has the fab, and the person who had the fab wouldn't be able to catch us anyways, but might actually take away points from somebody else. Absolutely. That's definitely the right player.
2: That's clever. And that's an obvious way to do it. It's way harder with position players because of just the multi category nature of them. And even starting pitchers, like it's harder to do it with anybody other than closers, maybe a stolen base uh, specialist. Like if you had, there, there really aren't that many of them left, but in the day of the Billy Hamilton or the day of the Vince Coleman, that type of a player, if you had a massive stolen base lead, then that could work also in that right. type of uh, situation. They, again, there really aren't that many of those players left anymore.
0: Correct. We'll talk a little bit about a little bit more about closures, but I want to talk before about uh, relief pitchers. Um, you know, something that that we do, and I want to get your take on it is, you know, especially in the start of the season when you aren't really sure who the pitchers are and and who's pitching well and who the better teams are that you don't want to face. Uh, you, you you don't want to have a pitcher face their lineup. Um, Instead of pitching a seventh or sometimes even a sixth starting pitcher among your nine, um, generally want to take a middle reliever, a good middle reliever uh, that we're confident will just help our ratios and plug them in. There are many relievers uh, who are worth value. This year, Andrew Kittredge is worth $11 in a 5x5 15-team roto. Giovanni Gallegos, who was almost the oddball out in the closer sweepstakes in St. Louis, He's worth $10. Um Paul Seawold is worth 6. Chad Green who I have on every single team of mine, he's worth 5. I certainly wouldn't pay for any of these players in an, in an auction or draft. I take him in the reserve round or off of waivers for a dollar or so. Uh but what what is do you do this kind of thing or are, are you interested in playing middle relievers instead of a sixth a seventh starter?
2: For sure. Um I mean you 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 hit on one point. One is don't pay for last years. Uh middle reliever. And, and anybody listening to this podcast knows that they're, they're largely fungible and, uh, and they change and the likelihood of the guy who was the good middle reliever last year being the good middle reliever next year is very low. And part of it is, um, there's a weird psychology to it, I think, and it's struggle. A lot of us, maybe not you guys, but a lot of us have, certainly I have, which is, um, it's boring and it's risk management as opposed to upside chasing. Um, but, and, and human nature is my God, this guy has two starts. There's the possibility, therefore, by definition of two wins in double digit strikeouts. And this boring middle reliever has no scenario. Uh, we think uh, of the, those things happening. And we are very good as humans at chasing that upside and under uh, appreciating the downside risk. And uh, so that's point one. Point two, it takes time. So forget forget that you happened onto the good uh, middle reliever in your reserve uh, roster at at, at draft season. Let's say it's Sunday afternoon and you're you're putting your free agent bids uh, together. It takes a lot. It's very easy to sort by who has two starts next week. Let's see which of these two starts looks good or scary. Uh, I'm done. It takes a lot more time and effort to figure out who's the middle reliever who's likely to have a pretty good week next week. Who's been good the last month? Who hasn't pitched on Saturday, Sunday, and therefore has a higher likelihood of getting into games Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday? So has the potential. To maximize innings, takes a lot more effort and it's easy to say, well, but we all really, really care about our fantasy teams, but lots of us have families and lots of us have busy lives. Um, it's it's harder to do it really well. I think like you, you, you list the guys who with the benefit of hindsight have done really well, but that doesn't mean what they're going to do well next week. And if you're projecting forward for next week on the middle relievers, cause I think that it's a very viable strategy. If you're very active and very aggressive to stream those middle relievers into a, a called the seventh pitching spot. Um, but, uh, it's harder in so many ways. Uh, than just streaming the two- start pitcher or streaming the guy who's facing Pittsburgh next week, right? everybody knows that like that there's a there's a hundred websites that will tell you who's facing the bad teams next week. There aren't a hundred websites that will tell you who are the middle relievers who have been good the last 30 days but haven't pitched for two days. So it just it takes a lot more elbow grease to get there and it's hard. Um, and the upside, is grinding over twenty six weeks that spot as opposed to aha, I nailed that two week start. Look how smart I am. Uh, you know, you know what I mean by that. Yeah,
0: no, definitely. But of course, you know, uh, things that are hard uh, obviously remain an advantage. If pay uses-
2: pay off, it's a small. It's a that's what like somebody like Jeff Zimmerman uh, jokes jokes off the top of the podcast. Aside, he's great at that. Like he's yeah. really good at figuring out. Uh, him and Tanner Bell. The reason they're doing so well, I think, is like Jeff is much bigger brain than I am on on all sorts of, from 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 big to small. So it's not it's it's not to in any way minimize him, uh, but he's putting in the work to find those like fifty cents a week uh, edges. But as you know, fifty cents a week over. 26 weeks is $13 for one roster spot. That is a massive advantage. That is literally the difference between like taking a 30th round pick and turning that player or that roster spot into a a ninth, 10th round pick. And that's a huge advantage. If I told you in March, instead of a 30th round pick, you're going to get an extra ninth round pick. Your eyes would light up, and you'd say, "My God, how am I going to lose this draft? That's massive. That's just fifty cents a week. It's yeah. like great right, like tiny little advantages add up to be so big." Um, and I think think that's why Jeff and, and Ten. There, there are other reasons. They're both very smart, sharp guys, uh, but but they're just putting in the work to find those little advantages.
1: And also in, in C, CBS, five by five, there are a couple pitchers who are in the top 30, middle relievers who are in the top 30 in value. You mentioned Gallegos. You mentioned Chad Green. Yosmiero Petit has been very valuable. He nice. has not get that many strikeouts every, every year.
2: Every year. Devin Williams Yosemiro is Petit. his
1: second year in a row. Craig Stammon. This is his second year in a row. But the guy who's standing out for me right now, and I think it's just, I think he's the unicorn. I think he's going to come back to earth. I think that's that's Ranger Suarez. He's got an ERA of .77, a whip of .74, Ks in thirty five innings. If he's available, he's the guy you should take because they don't Same. have a closer. Yeah, they they he's don't the only, have a closer right now, and he he's doesn't. He's the have,
2: only guy who can get out. He's the only, he's the guy, only guy. He's the only who can get guy out, right out right now.
1: Yeah. right yeah. and and he's a middle reliever and if you would have picked him up 2 3 weeks ago and you're keeping track of this stuff you could have got him for a buck
0: and it's always good to get a, a guy uh, the week before for a buck than having to pay. You know, uh, one of my strategies for earlier this year is, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't want to w- want to stay away from Tampa relievers. Don't pick a Tampa reliever because they don't have a full share of the saves. You only get a quarter of the saves. You get a third of the saves, whatever it is. Uh, and I argued that that was not great. I, I argued the other way. You're getting a great pitcher with great ratios. Plus, you're getting a quarter of the save share. Um, I, I argue the other way, that it's more profitable. And uh, for some leagues, you could have assembled three of the Tampa Bay Ray relievers, a dollar each in the auction, and turned them into massive profit. For sure. Yeah. Um. want to talk a little bit about uh, a question that came up. And, you know, uh, Reuven and I have, uh, just an example, Richard Rodriguez of the Pirates, who Everyone is saying, "Well, he's gonna get traded. He's gonna get traded. He's definitely the closer that's gonna get traded." Um, and should we pick up, uh, you know, someone who's available, who's a second guy, and and uh, with the assumption that you know Rodriguez is not gonna have any more saves? And my question to you is, you know, I don't think that that's true. I think that there is a probability that he doesn't get traded, well, even if it's small. There's a probability that when he goes on another team, if he does. He still remains the closer. I mean, if he goes to the Phillies, maybe he's the guy. If he goes to the Blue Jays, which we'll talk about today, maybe he's the guy. Um, where do you see Richard Rodriguez in terms of having saves after the trade deadline?
2: Yeah, I I, I think there's a if you own Richard Rodriguez right now, you're 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 nervous. And I own him in, in one of my leagues. Um You're nervous that he's going to lose the job, but what are you going to do about it? You can't drop the guy. Like He's either going to have the job or not have the job, and if he doesn't have the job, he's not useless for all the reasons we just discussed, so I think you need to be eyes wide open that you have a risky closer, but to be fair, if you have a role Chapman right now, do you have a safe closer or a risky closer, or do you not have a closer? Uh, You
0: have... Probably somewhere in the middle, I'd say more secure than you think, because he's a role uh, Chapman. And and
2: and 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 I think so. So the nature of closers is just my point. Is this week you have a guy, next week you might not have a guy. So Rich Rodriguez, as of today, is on the higher risk end. Like if we're using a red, orange, yellow, green type of color code. There's no doubt he's orange ish, uh, in terms of like safe on fire versus uh, green, uh, you know, super safe. Um, but what do you, what do you do about him? You're not dropping him. You're not like trading him on like pennies on the dollar. So be aware. And if there's another closing option to give you a third closer, so you can kind of back up the saves and you have the roster spot, of course you should do it, but you should always be doing that. It's the nature of closers, right? Like, they're, they're all risky uh, until the season's over.
0: So, Ruvain, if you had to put a probability on Richard Rodriguez that, assuming he's traded, now let's assume he is traded, what's the probability that he will still get the majority of save opportunities
1: for the rest of the season? I'm going to say 50-50. I think it's completely based on the team he's traded. You mentioned the Blue Jays. Sure, James. it is. If he, if he gets traded to the Rays, that's a bullpen by committee. He's going to still get saves. If he goes, But the, no one owes, no one gets all the saves on the Rays. If he goes to Oakland, Oakland right now, they have basically a split there for saves. He's going to be in that mix also. What happened two years ago when everyone had Shane Green and, and he had all those saves for, for for the Tigers? He was traded to the Braves. Did he not get any more saves down the stretch? No, he did. His 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 uh, his numbers stayed the same, though. He was getting the same amount of strikeouts. His earring whip stayed the same, and he threw in a couple of saves there. So he's still valuable like a middle reliever. So there's no reason to drop him, but and you're not going to get the same amount of saves later. So just like Rob said, you got to go and look and scour the waiver wire and see if you can get another potential closer, and there are always potential closers available on the wire.
0: What's your probability, Rob, of if he gets traded that he remains the majority saves guy?
2: Uh, a little bit lower than 50 percent just because 50 percent feels no disrespect like the like the cop out uh, i'd say i but i'd say it's at least 40 percent uh that he he gets uh so let's say over under 10 saves the rest of the season given that we're a bit more than half i i' say that's a pretty good vegas line and it's like I'd, i'm i'd be torn in terms of where to bet that Cause it could go either way
0: I put this poll on the poll on Twitter um fifty percent of the people said he's going to get thirty percent thirty percent chance or less um thirty three percent said th- between thirty and fifty and Only about 15% said he's going to get more than – it's a more than 50% probability. Uh, I think that our Twitter followers probably are a little bit on the aggressive side of he's not getting the the closer. Uh, He's not going to be the closer, not going to get saves. But, yeah, I I get your point. I I would vote with you, Rob, somewhere a little bit less than 50 or so. Um, You know, the question also comes up. Especially this year, and NFBC has no IL slots. Uh, you have to make decisions on whether to keep injured players or not. You have to make a decision on can I take uh, a, a couple of swings? Can I take some throw some darts at some potential closers? Right, you you may or may not have the space to do it. Um, how do you balance? Um, your injuries with potential closer darts and also with picking up streamers for the week. How do you manage your roster in terms of balance of spots?
2: Uh, This week's a really good week to have been able to be in a position to pick up one or two quote unquote darts just because for the vast majority of teams, they haven't announced who's pitching Friday, Saturday, Sunday yet. So it's it's like the first week of the season again, having an extra reliever or two, uh, who may or may not be the closer. Uh, having a guy who has the potential to pitch is better than having than having dead roster spots. And lots of us are going to be going into this weekend with dead roster spots when the rosters, like when when the rotations get announced. But that's really easy to say if you're in a position where you have Mike Trout on your bench and you're in a position where you have, you know, name name any of 30 injured guys on your bench, uh, then you're yelling at this podcast right now and saying, Rob, that's awesome. So I'm supposed to drop Trout for middle reliever. And it's like, no, you should not try, drop Mike Trout for middle uh, reliever. So it's, it's wicked tough. It's really, really tough. And those are the trade-offs. And it's like, it's easy to say, you got to be a week ahead and get the guy for $1 instead of $100 after he has the the closer's job. Um, But you can't cut Mike Trout.
0: Yep. And in labor, we picked up uh, David Bednar and Anthony Bender on the waiver wire this week. Uh, For that reason, hopefully that works out in us fending off the uh, aforementioned Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, Ruvane, any any thoughts as to uh, how you deal with the roster crunch this year?
1: well dealing with it is very very tough because of all the injuries but we actually have rich rodriguez on one of our teams and i actually posed the question should we drop him and pick up a dart for him because if we don't think he's going to get the majority of the saves for whatever team he goes to that's a roster spot that i can use for darts we ended up coming to the decision that we're going to keep him because he still could get saves at least for another week or two and possibly beyond so we didn't do that but it's just so hard to be able to do this at this point however after the All Star Blake break, there are going to be a lot of players coming off the IL, which means that a lot more players are going to be available because teams are going to have to drop start dropping their replacements. So you might might be able to see more of those darts on the waiver wire in the next couple couple weeks, just because of that reason.
2: Uh, Rich Rodriguez is more likely to get saves the rest of the season than any free agent you could have picked up uh, this week. Uh, almost uh, certainly, it
0: depends. I mean, we're in, in, in a ten team league. There are sure, some, sure sure i i mean yeah, i, I mean nfb and yes. nfbc
2: Correct. Uh, Correct. uh i i think like, uh, if it dro- dropping uh, i i hear the strategy that you were articulating uh i think that's um two degrees too cute dropping rich rodriguez a week before he might be traded hoping that you could get a, a Potential closer because it's so just a, probabilis- I think... probabilistically. I don't think that my gut is that's not the right decision.
1: Well, we were thinking about picking up Bednar instead of him because we were thinking. No, that actually, Bednar would get no, the actually,
0: Ruben, we were thinking of picking up Emmanuel Classe, who was on the way. Well, oh, that's the wire. different.
1: Yeah, that's different. That's team. there.
2: That's yeah. that. That's different. Like, that, sh- yeah. fair enough. In a ten-team league, there's always weird things that that could be going right. on. But
1: right. even in a twelve-team or fifteen, if David Bednar is available and you think he's going to close. That's you know that's not a horrible strategy cuz who's going to get more yeah. saves down the stretch, David Bednar or Richard Rodriguez?
2: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. It always is league specific.
0: Right, right. Let's talk a little bit uh, about the Toronto Blue Jays. Sure. Uh, Let, let's
2: let's fire through the Jays questions.
0: Yeah. So, uh we're talking about closers and I'll read you the save leaders this year. Romano, yes. seven. Dolis three. Meriwether, two. And a bunch of guys, Castro, Chatwood, Malone, A.J. Cole, all with one. What is the closer situation in your mind? Do you think that if the Jays trade for a closer, which is probably in their best interest, will they pick up the lion's share of the save ops? I mean, if uh, Craig Kimbrell gets traded, Rodriguez gets traded, is that a good decision? Will that happen? So obviously, if it, when you're playing fantasy and – you know, you'd have to think about that question.
2: So I, here is the Jays bias and they've been very honest about it from the start of the season till now, they would like their best pitchers to pitch in high leverage situation. They want to run a Tampa type bullpen. The problem is they haven't had the arms to be able to do it. They've, they've had brief, like there was, there were three days when Merriweather was there. There was spring training when Kirby Yates was uh, healthy but they haven't had the arms to do it. That being said, uh, there are one of two ways I think the Blue Jays bullpen goes at the trade deadline. Option one is they trade for a capital C closer. So they trade for Craig Kimbrell. They trade for Rich Rodriguez. They trade trade for Brad Hand. They trade for somebody else who I'm not considering right now who is put on the market and, and they trade for that guy who is clearly the closer. And I think the Blue Jays would be thrilled to be in a position where they can then um, use Romano as the high leverage, whether it's the sixth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning, or ninth inning. But they will go with 80% of the time. If they have Craig Kimbrell uh, on on the roster, he will get 95% of the saves, you know, like any other team, like he is with the Cubs. Uh, Rich Rodriguez, 90% of the team, Brad Hand, I'm I'm not a huge Brad Hand fan, but but, but 85 90% of the time. So that's option one, and I think there's a decent chance they pulled the trigger on that kind of trade. Option two, if like the the, the asking price is just too high, is what I would call, I don't like my cards, so I'm going to flip the table over which is the Jays' bullpen right now is a disaster. So they're going to bring in four different pitchers who are not on the roster right now, none of whom are Craig Kimbrell or Brad Hand or or, or the closer, but they're going to recreate their bullpen. And from a fantasy perspective, like it'll make the Jays way better. They will pick up really good arms, none of whom are the closer, and Romano will stay as the mostly closer, Um, and I think that is the more likely scenario, is they're going to pick up volume of decent arms. Um, What is the likelihood of the two two things happening? I'd say 30-35% that they get a capital C closer, 65%, so two-thirds kind of thing, that they get a bunch of pretty good arms that make them a better team but from a fantasy perspective the cl- the closer situation is mostly how it is right now with a bunch of different decent guys mixed in maybe a situational lefty here Fermano's pitch two days in a row throw it in but 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 that they don't pick up the big name closer. And I don't think they feel the need to pick up the big-name closer. There is no doubt they need to recreate the bullpen. It is the reason that they're not right there for the division lead or certainly the wild card. The bullpen has been a disaster for Toronto this
0: year. Yeah, definitely agree. Great analysis there. I have nothing to add. Anything to add, Ruven?
1: Yeah, I'm going to add about Julian Merriweather. People are waiting for him. He actually had a setback last week with his left oblique, so he's not coming back anytime soon. And I agree with Rob. They can do what the Braves did in 2019. When they did pick up Shane Green, they picked up Will Smith just to protect a, around Mark Belanson because they didn't know what they had with him because he wasn't really pitching that well toward the uh, toward the mid part of the season. So that would be the better way to go. If they can just make the game shorter, that's the best idea for them.
2: Uh, the only thing I'd say about Merriweather, as electric as his arm is, if, Vegas, if, if you're in a dynasty league and somebody has dropped him in your dynasty league or keeper league, maybe you take a flyer if you have the spot. If Vegas has the over under and in innings pitched for Merriweather for the rest of the season at one inning, I will take the under on that. I'd love to be wrong, but I don't know that we see Merriweather pitch another inning this season, which is a shame because he really is tremendous when he's healthy, but not so much.
0: Well, Rob, what do you think uh, the Blue Jays' other needs are in terms of trades, and what do you think they're actually going to go for? Are they going to add a star? Certainly their lineup is, is amazing. Are they going to go and add uh, some starting pitcher pitching depth?
2: Uh, I think, and it'll surprise people, I think there's another bat coming uh, to the team. Um, and it's either going to be a third baseman or an outfielder. Um, defensively, they do not have a player right now who is um, – Kevin Biggio is is an interesting, good player. He's not a full-time defensive third baseman. Um, Bo Bichette might be a defensive uh, third baseman. He's not quite a defensive shortstop. They're not moving Bo off of shortstop, though, this year. So, like, who could that be? Well, uh, your beloved New York Mets are talking about Chris Bryant. Would it shock me if the Blue Jays traded for Chris Bryant? It would not shock me. If Would it shock me if Joey Gallo is on the Blue Jays as a left-handed bat? That's the other problem with the Blue Jays lineup. As good as the lineup is, uh, it's very righty uh, focused. So would it shock me if Joey Gallo is in the Blue Jays lineup on Friday of this week? Would not shock me. So we say as fantasy players hearing that, It's like, Rob, you're making no sense because who's not playing then? There's too many bats. It's like, how is this going to work? And I remind you, uh, this is how uh, they tried to set up the team going into this year. They wanted one too many bats. They wanted to rotate guys through the DH spot, through a day on the bench. Um, And I don't think they're – and Randall Grichuk – He's, he's a great fantasy player because of what you paid for him. So he's a very profitable fantasy player. That's different from saying he's necessarily a player who needs to be playing every day in real baseball terms. So I think there's another bat coming. Uh, I think there's either an outfielder or a third baseman uh, still going to be added to this lineup beyond just fixing the bullpen.
1: Would they dare go after someone like Josh Donaldson again and have him back? Or did he wear his um, welcome there?
2: I, I, I love Josh Donaldson. Um, I don't think, uh, I don't know anything about None of us know anything about it. I don't think they like Josh Donaldson in that clubhouse with those kids. I don't think, uh, they like that. Uh, but, but I, what, what do I know about the internal dynamics about those, uh, things? Um, but I, yeah, I think I – think I and like I, I often joke about because I love Nelson Cruz. Wouldn't it be great to have Nelson Cruz on the Jays? I think they want to be flexible in terms of the DH spot. So I don't think it's a Nelson Cruz. I think it's a guy. I think Joey Gallo's interesting to them because of position flexibility because he, he has shown he can play at least a mediocre all three outfield positions and third base. And I think that interests them. Uh, Chris Bryant – is interesting because he has shown he can play third base and the outfield. So I think they treasure, per modern baseball, that kind of flexibility. And what does that mean for us as fantasy players? Um, It means more chaos. It doesn't mean more chaos if you own Vlad. It doesn't mean more chaos if you own Bichette. Those guys, Simeon is going to play every day. Springer, when healthy, is going to play now, probably, now that he's kind of hopefully the injuries are in the past every day but for the other guys, it means a bit more chaos, which means a a bit fewer uh, plate appearances. The flip side is, as this always happens, it'll work itself out, it'll be okay. Like it's not a, so so you're saying I should drop Gritchuk or I should drop Biggio. It's like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, I wouldn't be shocked if there's a bit of chaos in the world in the next uh, couple of weeks.
0: And, and of course, nobody is going to get hurt for the rest of the season on the blue. Of course games. not. Nobody. Like,
2: like it's the nature of baseball, guys. Like we we all know this. We've all we've all seen this. It will work out. And therefore, if I'm running the Jays and I can get a bit more depth, so I'm covered on the eventuality of player X getting hurt, I have to do
0: it. Right. So, side note on uh, Chris Bryant. Ruvein thinks that two of three: Chris Bryant, Craig Kimbrell, and Kyle Hendricks is coming to the Mets. But uh, let's, let's see if that happens. Uh,
2: it's 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 as if you guys have been listening to New York sports radio uh, or something. No, no, well, no. I'm just joking, guys. <laughs> I'm based on the fact that,
1: that they, they got Carrasco together with Lindor. So that's how the yeah. general managers were yeah. thinking at the time. So there you go. To Package those, them together. Right. Exactly. Makes sense. get the contracts off, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you
0: know, you mentioned Randall Grichuk. I want to talk a little bit about him. Um, you know, if you're if you're thinking that he might lose a little bit of playing time, let's say, um, if to talk about his fantasy value so far, he's been amazing. Uh, 259 average, 16 homers, 57 RBIs, second most on the team in RBIs. Last year, he led the team. He's a $17 player in Roto. That is sneaky valuable. I mean, I, I, I've i been all over Grechuk. For the last couple of years, uh, he's a much better, much, much better fantasy player than real life player. He's only at 100 WRC plus, 0.5 war. He's just an average player in real life. Uh, but in fantasy, with the counting metrics, with the, the runs and the RBIs, he just he just does it. Um, going forward, um, what are your expectations for him? And maybe we can play a, a little bit of a rankings game here um, with him. Um, you know, wh- Going forward, would would you rather have Randall Grichuk or a guy like Brian Reynolds?
2: Ooh, Uh, if you could, if you could tell me what team Brian Reynolds is, is Brian (laughs) Reynolds, uh, well, no, 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 I mean, we, we, we talked about this on, on, on launch angle. Reynolds has been tremendous. um, But his counting stats on the pirates are, are hard capped. Um, If he's, if he's on the Yankees as their starting left fielder, uh, that then hitting sixth in the Yankees lineup, That could change the world really quickly. So like it's so context dependent. Um, I think the Jays really like Randall Grichuk as a third and a half outfielder, if that makes sense. Um, And they're content with him as a third outfielder um, because he really is a league average player. And look at the Cleveland Indians. They desperately need four other Randall Gritchucks, right? It's easy to say, and it sounds like a pejorative, he's just a league average hitter. And it's like, yeah, that's not as easy to find as you may think. It's really, it's really not. And again, from fantasy perspective, Randall Gritchuck, given the cost, and it's it's been multiple years now, has been a tremendous return. So the game we care about, um, uh, don't take it like I'm, um, poo-pooing on Randall Kritchuk too hard. You're not dropping Randall Grichuk even like in any format where you have him right now, until there is a fundamental change, don't say Rob Silver said I should get rid of, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just warning you be aware and pay attention to the Jays lineup week to week. Um, I will not be surprised if Randall Richuk starts losing some playing time, even without a trade down the stretch a little bit.
0: Yep. Moving. Would you Would you rather take uh, Reynolds or uh, Chuck rest of season?
1: I probably rather take Reynolds just because of playing time. Because right now he's still in Pittsburgh. He's. I mean, he's playing. You don't know where he's playing. He's playing in the All Star game. He can go to that's a better line right now. He can go to a better. Um. that's It's a much better lineup. Um. But I think he will get. He'll. I don't think the Pirates are going to do a wholesale trade. I don't think they're going to trade. Both Adam Fraser and and Brian Reynolds, I just can't see that happening. I, I think I think he's going to stay on the team. His 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 stats are capped, like you said, because he's just on just a bad team. But even bad teams have to score some runs. So I think I'd rather have Brian Reynolds just because of the assured playing time, and that's the whole reason why Renegrechuk is so valuable. No one thought to start the season that Grechuk would get so much playing time because of the crowded outfield in Toronto. But look what happened: injuries happen, and that's why you need that third and a half or fourth outfielder.
0: All right, Rob. How about similar player Hunter Renfro? Would you rather have Grichek or Renfro after season?
2: I, you know, I don't understand. Maybe I, I don't own Renfro anywhere. I don't fully understand Renfro. Like I, I, I think I'd rather Randall Richuk, to be honest.
0: Just, okay. Um,
2: I don't understand Hunter Renfro. I and I, I like that's a that's a, a lazy, ignorant take. I just don't <laughs> understand. Uh, who he is and how he fits on that team is the honest answer like i just i i, I don't get him so i i there i there are certain players i am willing to accept i don't have a good enough uh, take on him whereas i think Randall Gritschak i i
0: have a handle
2: on what he is and what he isn't
0: i think he's a, a lot of power um i i think that in point no i know days. that in points leagues, I might take Renfro over uh, over Grichuk, uh, because he should get some, you know, standard playing time, whatever he's been getting, and uh, that plays a little bit more. It, it, the power plays more in points leagues. Um, I might do
1: that. Yeah, I, I think I'd rather have Grichuk. Also, um, I think where it's close, you want to take about about comparable. What would you what your needs are? Something like Andrew McCutcheon. He's His batting Ooh. average is batting, what, 228 on the season? Yeah. He's got a lot of power, but he also throws in a stolen base here and there. So I think that's a better comp. If I mean, yeah. Rob, who would you rather have rest of the season? Uh, Andrew McCutcheon and his old and barking knees or Randall Grichuk?
2: Um, I think Kutch, because uh, as big a mess in some ways as uh, Philadelphia is um, – I think, I think he's going to stick around, and I think he's going to grind out the stats. I think end of season, he will end up with more fantasy dollar value uh, than Grichuk. I just think, I think he, he's going to survive uh, despite the barking knees.
0: I'll do two more of these comps. How about Max Kepler?
2: <sighs> um, so tough, because when I think of the future of the Minnesota Twins uh, outfield— um, they, you know, like, I don't know if you guys are Byron Buxton, uh, fans, believers, apologists, been burned 42 times. Uh, we're a verse uh, here. So uh, so you've they, avoided them each time. Yeah. So if I, if I'm thinking about the Minnesota twins for next season, opening day, 2022, um, I really like Trevor Larnick in terms of what I've seen from him. And I'm, um, very intrigued and interested in Alex Kirilov, uh, and I think that if I'm if I'm the Minnesota Twins, it's like I need to find out what these guys are, who these guys are, and give them a lot of runway. And by definition, anytime Byron Buxton is healthy enough to play in a baseball game, which may not happen again this season, I have to play Byron. I have to play Byron Buxton. So the question is. Where does, and, and like, who knows what Nelson Cruz's future uh, is in, in Minnesota, but until Nelson Cruz is not on the Minnesota Twins, Nelson Cruz is your everyday DH. And you you have this Louis Rias guy who's kind of a freaky player and, and a very unusual player. So I just don't know. And, and, Let's be honest. Max Kepler also is another guy who's been a very good fantasy player in many ways, for a lot of ways. But it's not like if if you start sitting Max Kepler uh, against tough lefties uh, or, or 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 batting him like every day seventh or eighth in the lineup, that people are crying out, "I can't believe you're doing this to Max Kepler." So I don't know what Max Kepler's future is looking like, and I don't know that there's any real trade value for Max Kepler. So I don't know where Max Kepler fits in the baseball universe right now, if I'm being honest.
0: Yeah, I think I'd rather take take Gurriel. I, 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 sorry. Uh, my next, my last guy I was going to say is Guriel is the next question. But I, I'd rather take a Grichuk than Kepler. Actually,
1: I'd rather take Kepler. Kepler has raised his batting average over 25 points in the last three weeks, so I think he may have found something. The All-Star break stopped it, but I'm all, I've always been a big Max Kepler fan. I had him when he first came up, and I've been following him, and I think he will turn it around. And a lefty in that lineup, you know, he, when he's between a couple of big boppers there, it's, it's a good place for him.
2: I'm, I'm not anti. I'm not anti Max Kepler. Just so I'm clear, I just think that that uh, Kirilov and Larnak have to play every day. Like it doesn't make sense otherwise. When you're 40 games out of first place or whatever the Twins are right now, so I do worry about Kepler losing out to some extent.
0: And the last person I want to, is uh, a teammate, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Would you rather? Have- uh, I
2: think I think I think I think Lourdes is going to have a huge second half. Uh, so it's yeah. not even close. I think he's I think he's. Uh, uh, nothing he's done in the first half has has fundamentally changed who I thought he was going into the season. I was wrong about Guriel because I was super high on Guriel, but I still think on a going forward basis, Guriel is uh, is is a very good hitter, and I think yep. he will uh, have a very nice uh, end of the season. Yeah, I
0: mentioned Agreed. him last week as my. Uh... Undervalued player heading into the second half. I think Guriel is poised. He's already doing it. He's been doing it since mid-May. Really. Yeah,
2: he has. And it's, 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 it's the nature of if he was doing what he did in June, early July, in April, everybody would be hyped about Guriel and would have missed uh, the slump his, his April move to, to June. like It's just the nature of the stacking of months in a baseball season. If you start off hot, it takes a long time for people to realize you've cooled off. If you start off cool, it takes a long time for people to realize that you've you've heated up. He's been very good for the last six weeks.
0: Yep, absolutely. Uh, last Jay's question: uh, Catching. Uh, you know, they they had sometimes had three catchers on the roster here. Jansen, uh, you got Kirk McGuire. What is your take on how the catchers' playing time will split down the stretch? And are any of these catchers really viable in one two, one catcher league, two catcher leagues? What what do you think?
2: So the only catcher who is viable, uh, who, not viable. Like if if you're if you're in a fifteen team two catcher league, uh, there's a lot of catchers who are bad who are on rosters. Uh, but Alejandro Kirk uh, projects as one of the top ten hitting catchers on a per plate appearance yes. basis, and that has been the case from all winter and all season, and it's the case today. The challenge is. Um, if, if, if the denominator of how many plate appearances he gets is zero, it doesn't matter what he's doing on a per plate appearance basis. And unfortunately for Alejandro Kirk, I think as of today, unless something changes, he's not getting plate appearances. Like, I don't think he's opening the second half, uh, of, of the, you know, post all-star break on the roster. I think he's going to have to play in AAA for a while and, and get hot or have an injury. Uh before he gets playing time, what's interesting for the Jays is uh, Gabriel Marino, uh, who is you know a top 10 prospect uh, for them as well, is in double A right now and is double A hitting. He has a 192 WRC plus in double in A right now. So he's theoretically the fourth catcher, fifth catcher uh, in the system. So they're in a weird position. Like I don't play in a lot of dynasty leagues, but I know enough about dynasty leagues to know there's really no such thing as catcher prospects because they break your heart and they always end up sucking no matter how good you think they are, but they may go into next season when we start seeing the steamer and all the other projection models with two of the top, like 12 or 14 projected hitting catchers. And something's going to have to give. And I'm not su- suggesting that, like, Danny Jansen has trade value. Um, but it, the, the team, the management knows Alejandro Kirk's bat is a special bat. Like, it really is. He's a good hitter. And he's not as bad a defensive catcher as people stereotype him to be. And Abner Marino is a really good catcher now he's like he's not 21 yet he's really young but he's going to be beating on the door next season so like things are going to have to move and catcher has been a rough spot obviously for the jays so i don't know how it plays out what i know is kirk is a tough stash for almost everybody in redraft leagues like unless you have unlimited il slots it's really hard to to hold a third catcher. Never mind a third catcher who may never really get the playing time. But there's no such thing as as league winning catchers. Like he's not going to win you your league, but he does have the potential to in two months do more statistically than almost any catcher in baseball. So if you have the room, it's worth it. But I just caution you: the high probability is it's going to be very frustrating playing time for a while Mm. for Kirk.
0: Is there any catcher in a two cat, even in the NFBC two catcher fifteen team league, that if they go on the IL, you should for you know a good month, you shouldn't cut right away, other than Real Muto and Perez.
2: Um, It's it's really touch and go for like the next tier down. I think the I think the mis-easonry. better way yeah like I think I think the better way to play it um is I so I it's, 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 play it just like I played it. Uh, let and, me and, and by you. the way, so, to
0: interrupt you, real Muto to adjust homeward by the way. And the all
2: start. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> see, this is this is what this is what people are looking for. So, I picked I pick I, I like Mitch Garver. I've always had a soft spot since the big breakout season for Mitch Garver. Uh, I think Mitch Garver's probably coming back in the next week to 10 days. So, it's not I didn't hold Mitch Garver, I didn't have Mitch Garver. I picked up Mitch Garver in a couple of leagues this Sunday. And as a third catcher, so it's not that I'm holding three catchers, but I'm willing to go a week with three catchers because I think Mitch Garber could be back. Like it wouldn't shock me if he's back for Friday. And my expectation is he will not be, but sometime next week, Mitch Garber will be back and he's a big enough improvement over my second catcher in those leagues that for a week to 10 days, Maybe two weeks. Um, holding that third catcher in Mitch Garver um, is worthwhile, which is a different uh, different than what your actual question
1: was. And just just a quick mention on Alejandro Kirk, he is, his manager already, Charlie Montoya, already said he's 100% healthy. He's been in rehab games. He's gone five for 13 with a homer, a double, four walks, and three RBIs in five rehab games. So he is ready when they are ready. But my question, I have a question to you, and let's see how you feel about this. Alejandro Kirk versus Travis Darnot. Darnot's supposed to come back, let's say, the second week in August. Who's going to have more fantasy value? Who do you think will have more fantasy value from the, from here until the end of the season?
2: Uh, I would pick Kirk for two reasons. One, I think he is a better hitter, which is not necessarily an indictment of Darno. Uh, and two, Kirk is healthy. So the so Darno, the day he's healthy, will have a job or at least a percentage of job. Uh, they presumably will not play him every single day uh, right off the bat, um, but it's it's a catcher and it's a serious injury like uh, just then you know this better than I do uh, early August could easily turn into mid-August and late August uh, so like if he only has four to six weeks Kirk I think can get more plate appearances the rest of the season more certainly like the high there's a higher percentage chance that Kirk gets to a uh, 100 plate appearances the rest of the season than uh, than darno I think. Because there's a better chance that Darno gets a zero.
1: That's true.
0: Okay. All right. Let's uh, finish off with a little bit of over under. Maybe you can give a player or two who you believe is overvalued and who is undervalued heading into the second half. We mentioned Guriel before as uh, undervalued. Uh, do you have another player or so for each?
1: Uh,
2: I'll go. I'll go for an overvalued player. Well, I'll, I'll stick with the Jays just because uh, that All was right. that was the that, that was the theme. Uh, a guy I'm really really uh worried about is Hyunjin Ryu and I love Ryu he's been he's been so good for the Jays for the most part uh since he he came to Toronto um something ain't right with him though uh Ryu uh the last uh last six weeks has been a bad pitcher and I don't know if he's hurt I don't know if he's tired or I don't know if he's just in a bad funk and my hope as a Jays fan is it just kind of fixes itself and Ryu comes out of the break. Haven't had maybe a couple extra days rest and is back to being, uh, who, uh, who he had been, uh, before. Um, but I'm, if I own Ryu in, if, well, if you own Ryu in fantasy, you've seen what's been happening and it, it really hasn't been, uh, good at all, at all, at all. So I'm really worried about Ryu. I don't know what you guys think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I own him in TGFBI. Question is, you know, what do you do? Do You, you can't drop him right now. Yeah, well, of course you're not you dropping know. him. D- do you sit him? I'd say for really bad matchups, you do. For medium matchups, how can you not play him? It's a 15-team league.
2: Yeah, so since, since August 1st, he has a 5.13K per nine, a 3.35 uh, walk per nine. Uh, and a like a 572 uh, FIP, uh, that's not what you were hoping for, but it's the nature like so. The optimist to me says it's the nature of baseball seasons there's ups, there's downs. Uh, his fastball velocity isn't down that much, so it's not like there are flashing red flags of injury, like, like he's hiding an injury. It's not that he's just sucked,
0: yeah. All right. Um, you want to give a, a another undervalued player?
2: Uh, undervalued player on the Jays is um, again. There's I don't know that this is actionable for anybody. Is uh, George Springer? is about to go off. Uh, yeah. He's going to be moved back into the leadoff spot. Uh, I think real soon. I think Simeon's going to be dropped down down in the lineup, and and Springer's going to go uh, towards the top. Uh, Simeon's batting average uh, just on base has been the power is cleaned up for him, and I, I've loved He's been well. What what a what a what a Blessing it's been to watch him play. He's Simeon's been wonderful, uh, yeah. but I think I think I think Springer. Uh, if if you're in a trading league and people have forgotten that that Springer is a legit top twenty twenty five hitter in baseball when healthy, uh, if people are selling him as a top like 60, 70 hitter instead of a top twenty twenty five hitter, then I'd I'd pay uh, a premium to get Springer as the top maybe not top twenty hitter anymore but top thirty forty hitter like if there's an arbitrage there if there's a if there's a delta between where people see him right now because of the first half and who he his true talent still is um I would buy uh every springer chair I could get my hand on if that's where people value him
0: strong advice there uh, on to the uh injury. Uh, section here, uh, the injury update from Ruvane, Uh and actually a mailbag question comes to you, Ruvain. maybe you can start with that, uh, Russell Koch asks, hey, is there any update on Kettle Marte, maybe you can give uh, that update as long as well as uh, any others you have prepared for us today.
1: Sure, I'll start with Kettle Marte, um, on July 3rd, he actually, or around the July 4th weekend, he actually had a live batting practice session, but he still is not running, so uh, he's—it's very hard to say when he's going to come back because this is his second stint on the IL for his hamstring issue. People thought that we were—he was not going to be out this long, but you know what? Hamstrings are very fickle things, and if—and if, and if he, this can last for weeks, if he, if he doesn't—if he doesn't get right right away, and he uses his legs, especially in the outfield, he's not playing second base anymore, um, and that, that can be a big issue. Um, other guys who who are going to be coming back soon, either in the last week in July or the very beginning of August, people to look out for our last couple weeks. From July. Mark Hanna, um, Eloy Jimenez, he's looked very good. Mike Trout, as soon as he can come back, is July 17th. Lorenzo Cain should be coming back right after the All Star break. Tommy Lastella is going to be coming back. Carlos Carrasco, actually, they may actually build up his innings in the Mets rotation. JD Davis is supposed to be activated for the Mets at this first day back. Alex Breckman should be coming back, hopefully, in about a week or two. But two guys, a couple of guys that are a little bit more, i um, very not, you know, upset that they're not going to be able to play. Corey Kluber, they said he's likely out until September with a, he still has that subsac, sc, subscapularis injury, which is the same type of injury that Shane Bieber has and they're saying September and Shane Bieber actually was injured three weeks after Kluber, so I'm a little bit concerned with that, and I also I gotta mention, Ronald Acuna, who's been the like the top, one of the top outfielders, he is done for the year, he will be okay, he should be okay for the start of the spring training, he will have the ACL surgery he actually said he was going to go to the All-Star game to push off the surge a little bit, that shouldn't matter. He should be ready for opening day next year.
2: Can I ask you that question? Um, uh, And I know we've run like uh, an hour and a half long. Um, So the big debate this winter uh, about Acuna is going to be, will he run when he comes back? Uh, Will he play it safe or will he run? And Acuna is obviously a tremendous hitter if he doesn't steal a single base. But if you're considering first round picks next year, then it matters tremendously whether Acuna runs. Do you have any sense post ACL, we have lots of football players who've come back. Baseball is obviously different what the likelihood that his speed and comfort of running is likely to be uh, coming off that kind of an injury. And I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Here.
1: No, it's it's fine. He, he's actually a very aggressive player to begin with. So I think he's going to try to push it sooner than later. But I mean, it's not the same injury, but Kristen Yelich has the broken kneecap, and he was out for an extended period of time also. Um, it's the same idea. Chris Nielich only has six stolen bases this year. Am I going to think that Gokunic that is going to lose all the stolen bases? No, he'll still be a 20, 20 to 25 stolen base guy, possibly. But I think it's going to take a while for him to get confidence and be, to be able to run. And once he has that confidence, he is a crazy fast guy. He will he'll take the extra base. He's just a very aggressive player to begin with. So I think he's, he's going to push it. Um, would I take him at number one next year? No. Would I take him at number two, three, four? I still take him probably in the top ten. He's still going to give you the power. The speed will come. So I'm not too worried about that. Yeah,
2: I just think it's going to be a debate we're going to have all winter in terms of what to do with Acuna.
0: I mean, isn't he going to be a very similar situation as as to Mike Trout? Mike Trout, well, Trout doesn't run anymore. He'll only get ten stolen bases this year. I I would think that if I was going to predict ADP for next year, I would think it would be very close to where Trout is. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, I think the old. I th- so I think there's two questions with Acuna. The first is timing. Is he ready for opening day? Like, does he get it get at least a few weeks of spring training and ready for opening day, or is he delayed into like a May first type of situation? Obviously, by definition, if he's not ready for opening day, um, we can all do the math and fill in. It's not that he drops that far because he's still tremendous, and you can you can backfill. Uh, for his stats, but that obviously has an impact. And then two, it's the stolen bases. He's much younger than, than Mike Trout. Uh, he's much closer to a big stolen base total uh, than Mike Trout. Um, and again, I'm not an, a medical expert, so correct me if anything I'm saying is wrong. My sense of an ACL injury is they're, it's, it's not that it's a simple uh, injury to rec- It's not a shoulder injury where re- recurrence is, is there's a big risk of recurrence. Once he's healthy, um, he should be pretty healthy. Like, and the likelihood of a recurrence of the injury is relatively low. Is that fair?
1: Yes, yes, it is. I mean, look at—I think it was Adrian Peterson. Didn't he have an ACL injury with the Minnesota Vikings, and then he came back, and he's—he's—and he's older, and he was running just as fast and just as hard as he was when he was when, before, uh, before the injury. So, and he's older, so the age does play a difference. Acuna is younger, so because of that, he's going to heal better, and I think he'll be more aggressive. Although the Braves may tell him to just calm it down because totally. they need him. You're in too important.
2: You're too important. Totally. Exactly. Anyways, we have we have we have all next winter to think about that. Unfortunately, we don't have to think about Acuna between now and then. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because it's, unfortunately. Ter- it's terrible.
0: Yeah, of course. And the discussion is going to be: Well, if we think he's going to steal, then it's a buying opportunity. Otherwise, if we don't, it's a risk, and it's going to be uh, that's going to be a discussion in the off season. Absolutely. Um, I, I, you know what? I'm I'm not settled on the Tatis is not a risk for the rest of this year. I think
2: that it's it, it, yeah. you, you know we, we, we we're talking about this on the launch angle today uh uh we're talking about Tatis versus Otani and Jeff mentioned it's like look I still worry about injury risk for Otani and I'm like it's crazy to me like I said I don't disagree with what you just said but it's crazy to me how uh Tatis went from my god look at that shoulder injury he's done to he's awesome he's the man it's like I assume that shoulder can pop out any second we all hope it doesn't uh, happen I, I have no reason. totally and he's Crazy. so young and so talented and in such good shape like there's lots of reasons to think he should be just fine um but it's 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 just funny how these things go from like my god he's never gonna walk again to he's the bionic man uh in an instant it's, let me ask it's you a question funny.
0: Here, sorry, we're going over here. But um, would you take rest of season Tatis or Mookie Betts in uh, in five by five roto?
2: I think Tatis. Like the upside okay. is just, uh, okay. it's it's it's. I mean, it's a floor upside question to some yeah, extent. But even yeah. even even the floor. But like Tatis is just too good. You can't you can't. I can't I can't, yeah. can't not take Tatis.
1: And Do you, you disagree? You can't not, you can't not take uh, somebody because you think they're going to get hurt again. That's not how yeah. drafts work. Otherwise, you wouldn't take anybody in a draft.
2: Uh, and it's because it's not like Mookie Betts hasn't had injury. Like Mookie Betts can twist an ankle tomorrow, uh, for sure. Uh, he's, Tatis, as far as we know today, is healthy. He's yeah. playing at a level. If, if he is playing hurt right now, then he is playing at a higher level hurt than 99.9% of Major League Baseball players have ever played before, right? Like he's playing at such an insane level. Moreover, projections would say, uh, not to just fall back on projections, that Tatis is, uh, uh, Tatis and Vlad, but from a fantasy perspective, Tatis is the best fantasy player right now with Acuna down. So I, 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 I love Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is awesome, but I think it's Tatis.
0: Yeah, he's at a different world. And, you know, obviously it's been a couple of months that he has been back. That first month back, I think if of somebody who offered me Mookie bets for Tatis, and I do not have any Tatis shares, but if I did, I might have taken it only because it's so risky at the very top. I mean, uh yeah. you know. You never know. All right. Well, anyways, this was a fantastic show, Rob. Really appreciate you coming on. And no. before we let you go, could you, uh, you know, just tell everybody, uh, you know, where we can follow you, where we can uh, a little bit about Launch Angle podcast and anything else that's going on with you right now.
2: No, nobody wants to follow. If if, if you're following me already, I, I apologize. Uh, this was fun. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for hijacking. Uh, your show uh and uh and, and surely after this uh spore will never allow me back yeah. on another fangraft podcast now ever, now, we uh, now we see why
1: now we see why
0: now now you fully this is understand great. This is great. Now, you,
2: now you fully understand and
1: and this next time great. next time we'll talk next time we'll talk about my softball team that I play second base on but we'll get to that next
2: time there you go and and the dirty dirty double plays that you've been churning like you just some some dirty play out at second base
1: uh, you don't want to know
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Anyways, like, this was great, great, great fun, guys. Be well.
0: Awesome. You can follow Rob Silver at Rob Silver, and you can listen to him on the Launch Angle podcast. Ruben, you want to, uh, want to tell everybody where we can uh, see you?
1: Yes, yes. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come in. Who's up next? How long I think they're going to be out? It's my medical opinion, and you can also catch my weekly article at Rotobowler.
0: All right, you can read my work over at Fangraphs. You can follow me at. A T C N Y. Uh, coming up uh, later this week, we're actually going to have a couple of uh, ex-ball players on the show. Uh, stick around for that. A couple of bonus episodes and uh, Fred Zinke. Uh, next week, we've really got uh, some great shows in the next uh, couple of uh, couple of weeks here. So uh, stay tuned here on Beat the Shift. All right, from all of us here, thank you, Rob Silver, for coming on. From Ruben and I, have a wonderful All Star break. See you on the other side.
1: Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore Shift underscore Pod.